Outpourings in Paradise, The Four Seasons of Life as a Nomad. If you think you're free, there's no escape possible. Ram Das. It doesn't matter where you go or how long you stay in each place. Being a digital nomad always starts with the initial thrills of novelty. These sparks eventually get smothered by the comfort blanket of Nirvana. Then, just when you've got your feet up and you're wondering how life ever got so good, you get the niggles and you're suddenly full of irritation and self-loathing. You live with a low-key existential dread until your departure date emerges on the horizon and the glowing warmth of nostalgia wraps you in a restorative cocoon. Novelty, Nirvana, niggles and nostalgia. It's a ragbag emotional roller coaster, and not the carefree fantasy you see in your feeds. Here are the four fervent seasons of life as a nomad, starting with the shock of the new. Novelty. In a new place, it's always the oddest stuff you see first. In India, it's the women in saris riding side saddle on scooters. In Mexico, it's the man rolling deodorant on the back of his neck. In Thailand, it's the taxi driver who has his sat-nav positioned at a complete right angle and drives with his head tipped to one side. The ways of weight staff differ everywhere. In the Dominican Republic, they leave the end of the paper sleeve on the top of your straw to protect it. In Indonesia, everyone, absolutely everyone, repeats your order back to you. Why hasn't the world embraced cool, wet towels in restaurants like they have in Japan? You can use them to freshen up before your meal, as a coaster for your dripping cup, as a napkin that doesn't disintegrate, and as a way to wipe the table at the end. Get with the programme, people. The pressing question during novelty is, how well does this place meet our expectations? My partner and I are evaluating this immediately, consciously and unconsciously, scrutinising the proximity of trees and beaches, the feather or foam pillow situation and the width of the bed, the general feng shui of the nearest high street. We don't even know what that means, but we say it all the time and somehow we understand each other. We're seeking a progressive remote work culture and the search is on for coffee shops and co-works with all the bells and whistles. Never the same place twice. Local people treat us like we're just whizzing through, which we are. Our brains are on fire while we're busy mapping the territory. We don't venture far, we go deep and discuss our discoveries over noodles at night. What is it they're saying over the loudspeakers on those trucks? We're raiding the wrecks given to us by other nomads, plus the results spat out by Google Maps, travel blogs, Reddit, Slack and Discord groups. We can't stop thinking about that place where they hand carve your ice cubes that go in your highballs. We don't unpack. We live out of our bags till we know for sure we're staying. When it comes to accommodation, what was advertised online just isn't often the reality. The room's too dark and it's full of wily mosquitoes, or there's a constant ear bashing from the road outside and the closest restaurants are all a bit dreary. We spend the first two days plotting our escape by locating a safer, cleaner, cosier spot. For this, we've devised a clever strategy. We only book places up front that have 24-hour cancellation. I book two nights and Karina books the next 28. If on arrival, we know we need to evacuate, then Karina cancels her booking and we get away scot-free. This has saved us thousands of pounds 
and weeks of regret. It's try before you buy for the nomadic generation. Nirvana. Our new place is gorgeous. You can smell the sea salt from the balcony and hear the long tail engines chugging in and out of the bay. Plus it's a hotel, so we can have our room cleaned and our towels changed every day if we like. We hang our clothes in the wardrobe and place our sun cream by the mirror where we're least likely to forget it. We have a meeting to align our work schedules and start to plan some activities for the upcoming weeks. We've hired a scooter and figured out how to get around. Those mystery loudspeaker announcements are now comprehensible owing to some intel from the bartender. They're peddling vegetables or scrap metal or front row stools at Saturday's kickboxing bonanza. We've acquired specific knowledge about our neighbourhood and we know why we prefer certain spots over others. That place has a lot of outlets and their chairs are comfy. You can sit down and stand up to work and they do those really nice pancakes. We get to do our deepest work now because we've found our nooks and hideouts and learned how to prune most interruptions. We've also figured out which posh hotels let us in for free. It had cost us 200 a night to stay there as guests, but we can just spend the day, eat their food, swim in their pool, and sit at that mahogany desk looking out at the jumping fish and the unspeakable sunset that turns the surface of the sea into a lustrous mirror. Our calendars are becoming enriched with points of interest like parks, wine bars and less touristy beaches, as well as events like that tennis tournament, those two open mic nights, that cooking class and that nomad booze up. We found our laundry place, our meditation spot, our chemist and our jogging routes. We know where our nearest supermarket is and which aisle the oat milk is on. The faces we see become more welcoming, warmer smiles and fuller greetings from the people whose coffee we drink the most. We also make more effort to talk to local people and other travellers, and even the cats and dogs recognise us and roll over so we can get to their belly fur. People ask us if we don't miss our friends and family, but honestly, friends and fam are just a text away, as close as they were when we were in England. Closer even, since when we do talk to them, the conversations are special because there's more curiosity and less familiarity. Nirvana creates the confidence for adventures further afield, and that means we discover more hangouts not previously on our radar. We go on sunrise road trips to neighbouring towns, like that Spanish village where they make sherry, and that sake tasting tour in Kyoto. These trips within the trip are one of our favourite things to do. The stability and serenity of Nirvana allow conversations to unfurl and become more speculative. We start looking, listening, and even thinking like residents, wondering about hospital waiting times, classrooms and teaching styles, dentists, visas, local politics and land ownership. We start calling the hotel home. We sit at the high table in the ritzy resort next door, me with a beer over ice, don't knock it till you've tried it, Karina with a vino tinto. It's so easy to connect and co-author your future when every day feels like the first day of your summer holiday. Niggles. But the next morning, something's different. Have you heard that bird outside our window that sounds like a child being strangled? I wish we'd known they were building shit right opposite. They never advertised that shit. Check this out. I found out the reason Uber Eats won't work is just because our phones can't receive the two-factor authentication text message that we need to validate our account. 
These are the restless winds of the niggles, the midway season of moral verdicts and creeping regrets. It's a time when I'm just as likely to be overcome with outbursts of doomsday panic about the temperamental Wi-Fi as I am to question the very legitimacy of the nomadic lifestyle itself. What's my end goal with digital nomadism? Who or what am I running away from? And how am I even deciding where to travel? For something so important, my decisions feel recklessly random. It's like I'm being controlled by some invisible, powerful nomad marketing company dangling me carrots. Who's actually pulling the strings really? Because it's not me. It is true what they say, you do miss your friends and family. All the texts and Zooms in the world are no substitute for actually being together. I think about certain people back home battling under their great cosmic pain and loss. And then there's me in my fucking flip-flops getting angry that I get sugar in my latte. Who the hell do I think I am? Digital nomad? I'm just avoiding responsibility. The one thing that I should be seeking more than anything else. Ever since I met Maxim, that Belarusian guy forced to become a nomad because of the war in Ukraine, I can't help but feel like a privileged little brat. And every time I get served by someone, a beer, a taco, I can feel myself overthanking them and smiling too much. It's like I'm trying to atone for being in my position, free to live wherever I want, while they're stuck here with a weak passport and a corrupt government and roads with no fucking traffic lights. Are they looking at me like I'm scum? I bet they are. I would if I was them. This world is disgusting. Not surprisingly, the niggles period sees us do most of our admin for onward travel. Boat tickets, buses, flights and apartments. The irony is that we're often thinking most about someplace else precisely when we've started being settled in the place we're in. Not very zen, but that's the niggles for you. The hardest thing about the niggles when you're a nomad, the hardest thing about lazy or disappointed or any guilty feelings at all, is that you don't think you deserve to be having them. Nomads are the lucky winners of globalisation. So far up Maslow's pyramid that we're practically in outer orbit. And nobody, not even you, wants to listen to your first world problems. Nostalgia. But like a river carving a new path after the flood, I'm rescued from the niggles by the fact of our imminent departure. It's funny how predictably leaving a place makes you appreciate it fully. In contrast to novelty where everything is a one night stand, nostalgia is a time for old flames. We send our last email from our favorite roaster. We eat the dishes we fell in love with back when. We compensate ourselves for all the research, risks, dead ends and face plants that happened during our sketchy novelty period. One last coffee, one last somtam, one last highball, one last swim. I notice how much more I notice, the clarity of my thoughts, the lethargy of my thoughts, the eagle circling high above, watching me more closely than I can watch it. The speed of the sun, the grey shirt on the guard's back and the wrinkles by his eyes, our bed, our cute little room, the salt-crusted drying rack, the maids who say hello every morning and the corridors strewn with sandals. There's more value in each moment because the aching holiday blues tinge every interaction. Kisses, jokes and apologies, they all tremble and glow. I feel all the feelings I've felt all month, except now I feel them all at the same time. Tears are lurking in the long grass. On certain occasions, like that time we read Hunter S. Thompson's suicide note in the Pancake Cafe, the tears are lurking inside my throat. We count down the hours till takeoff, 
and agree, we need to come back. It's incredible here. We need to bring my mum. But we know we won't. The world's too big. There's too much to see. Finally, it's time. Time to meet with our two familiar commuting buddies, excitement and trepidation. Together we slip, slip like sand slips through our hand from one place to the next where knowing what we've done cannot prepare us for what's to come. We will make ourselves a home again and live a whole lifetime in a month. Thanks for listening. See you next time.